Hello and welcome to Grazia Life Advice, Grazia Magazine's podcast. I'm Hattie Chrisell and each week I speak to women worth listening to, asking them to share six pieces of advice they really value and the worst piece of advice they've ever received. My guest this week is the journalist Lynn Enright and I can tell you now that if you have a vagina and would like to know more about it, this is the episode for you. Lynn's new book, Vagina, A Re-Education, tackles all the gynaecological health issues that we're usually not encouraged to chat about and takes a feminist look at the ways in which women's pleasure, comfort and safety has traditionally been neglected. It's a fascinating and beautifully researched read. I consider it an essential manual that should be provided to every vagina owner and maybe some penis owners too. Lynn is also very funny and shares some excellent life advice that goes beyond gynaecology. Let us know what you think of this episode on Twitter or Instagram with the hashtag GraziaLifeAdvice. For now, over to Lynn. So, um, you know, what is it like to have written this book that everyone is talking about? Oh, well, that's very sweet of you to say. <laughs> well, everyone I know is talking about it. Yeah, I, I feel like that might be the case. But yeah, it, it has been really nice. Um, it's quite nerve wracking to write a book, especially a book about vaginas uh, <laughs> that um, talks about my own vagina. Uh, that's still quite weird, actually. Um, you know, I'm used to as a journalist writing about myself at the same time. It's something that you do sort of privately. I do it in my living room or in the library and you kind of write these things. And sometimes they're, you know, really quite personal and I don't really think about it. And then I did that, you know, maybe a year ago and put it into this book. And then suddenly you realise that that's out there in the world and that, you know, come next week, people are going to, you know, hopefully go into their local bookshop (laughs) and buy a book that has sort of intimate stories. And I know that it's not just intimate stories. The book has loads of other things, you know, facts and pieces that I hope will educate people about their own vaginas, but it also has stuff about my vagina and that's a little bit daunting, but I suppose that's what it is to have a nonfiction book out in the world. Of course. And I think, you know, obviously um, as a friend of yours, People I know are talking about it, but I, there is an element of truth to that in that I think, um, you know, the subject matter is really compelling, quite surprising. I haven't read anything like this before. And I think it is something that people are, it is going to start conversations for sure. You know, when you're publishing something like that, you know, what was it like when your mum and dad read it? Or, you know, what are their reactions been to those intimate details? Well, nobody... Nobody has read it yet. Nobody in my family. My husband has read most of it. I made him help me with the footnotes and help me with transcribing and that kind of thing. So he's been roped in and has read most of it. But my family haven't read it yet. And, you know, they're really supportive and they've always been really supportive and lovely when I've done other personal things about writing, about having an abortion in Vogue. They were really supportive and lovely. Um, And I imagine they'll be really supportive and lovely. Although my sister was saying the other day, she was like, there's nothing about my vagina in there, is there? there?" (laughs) So, you know, she's just, she's people, well, my sister was nervous that I had put in private details, but I have not. Um, Yeah, it's nerve wracking. But I think, like you say, people are talking about vaginas at the moment and that it's not just my book there is also Laura Dodsworth's book so there's a bunch of stuff out there at the moment the vulva gallery project and I think that people feel like there's a conversation happening that's 
overdue yeah, and that needs to happen. Exciting. Mm. Um, what made you write this book in the first place? Well, I had been working in women's media and writing about women's subjects, particularly, but um, you know stuff like the Me Too movement and the Repeal the Eighth campaign in Ireland. And I did sort of start to realise that there was, it, it did come back to biology sometimes and it did come back to the fact of, of being a woman. And also, you know, I was working at the pool website and whenever we did stuff that was about gynecological issues like smear tests or about fertility, I could see that there was a really big response because I think those issues are still taboo. And so when women see them written about, they respond to that. And that felt connected to the Me Too movement to repeal. And so it felt like there was this opportunity to go back to basics and back to kind of talking about a woman's biology, but also bearing that in mind with the context of Me Too and repeal and how those kind of bigger questions can be linked to the more basic issues. Yeah. I was interested in your whether you think you have a particular perspective on this subject as an Irish woman, because one of the things that the book looks at is how well informed girls are you know in terms of sex education about their own bodies and obviously Ireland quite a sort of conservative country until relatively recently with the Catholic Church and everything I think you actually say at one point in the book that you had assumed that um, maybe some of these things were an Irish thing and Mm. then you when you looked into it you were like oh no actually it's it's like (laughs) this everywhere everywhere. yeah yeah totally I had thought that I would start researching sex education in the UK and discover that it was so much better than Ireland. Um, in Ireland, it was pretty dire. I mean, we were sort of, um, we were given classes where they just put on a video with an American <laughs> sort of <laughs> preacher, like abstinence preacher. So that was our sex education and it was really, really dreadful. But things, you know, they're not across the board really, really good here. There is a new curriculum coming in in 2020, which I think, you know, there's lots of positive stuff in there. But no, basically, when I started to go looking at sex education, I was really shocked by how poor it was here in the UK. Also in America, I mean, it's shockingly bad. There's like downright lies being taught in lots of cases in America. But I suppose being Irish does... It has made us think about things quite intensely in the last few years. You know, I think the repeal campaign did bring up a lot. It made us all sort of look at our history and the history of what we were doing to women, the history of how women have been treated in Ireland. So I suppose being Irish has felt like it has informed this book as well. Yeah. So in light of your studies to, you know, the research that you've gone into this book, and I have to say is packed with really interesting and often quite shocking research, a lot of your advice today is going to, you know, pass on some of the learnings <laughs> about how we can all be better informed and um, just happier and healthier. So, so let's start with your first piece of advice. First piece of advice is it's normal for your vagina to smell, but if it smells really bad, you should go to the doctor. Okay. <laughs> So what what is the kind of most common diagnosis for for a bad smell? Well, BV is probably the most common diagnosis. And that's bacterial. bacterial vaginosis. Okay. Yes. Um so that and that's pretty common. You know, a lot of adults will get that at some point in their life. But I think that, you know, people feel so strange about their vagina smelling and actually, you know, vaginas 
do smell a bit. And, and it's fine. <laughs> and that's fine. <laughs> that's normal, you know, and they will change smell. So if you uh, have been doing exercise, if you've been having sex, if it's really hot, you might notice that your vagina smells a little differently than usual. But if it smells unpleasant, go to the doctor, yeah. basically. And I think that, you know, because we're sort of embarrassed, we can put that off and we can try and um, try and figure it out by ourselves. So, you know, there's a huge booming industry that profits when they send us to the pharmacy and we go and buy a douche or a cream or, you know, a spray when actually if your vagina smells badly, then you need to go straight to the doctor and probably get some antibiotics. Mm. However embarrassing that may be. <laughs> yeah, I think that there is embarrassment around that. I mean, I I have had bacterial vaginosis and it is really embarrassing. <laughs> There's a test that the doctor does and this is this is so awful. It's called the whiff test. Oh no. <laughs> so oh, no. that, you know, so it's not a pleasant thing, um but I think, you know, it can be cleared up really really easily if you just go and go to your doctor and get some antibiotics. Yeah. I mean, I was speaking to somebody really, really smart, really clever, who was had bought a, a jade egg for her vagina to address problems that she'd had after having a baby. And the thing is, is that, you know, she bought that because she, she had a problem and she, she wanted to address that. But actually the better way to address that would be to go to a doctor. But I suppose so often when you go to a doctor, you're not listened to, your problem isn't considered bad enough. Um, and so, yeah, then you're much more likely to be susceptible to, you know, kind of products that are probably quite useless, you know. Yeah, okay. So persist with the doctor. So your second piece of advice is, is also about the doctor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So my second piece of advice is write down what you want to say before you go to the doctor. Okay. Um, especially, I think, with with stuff relating to periods or gynecological problems. I think especially with periods, because if you have a really bad or heavy period, you know, let's say that happened two weeks ago, mm -hmm. and, then, and then finally your doctor's appointment rolls around, but you sort of almost forget how bad and how awful the period was two weeks ago. And I think it's quite easy to go in and be bamboozled in a, you know, in a very quick appointment into saying, well, actually, yeah, it's not that bad. Mm -hmm. When at the time it was causing you to miss work, it was, you know, you were bleeding through tampons and pads, um, you were passing, you know, really big clots. So write down the problem and then write down, you know, what you want to say so that you don't get bamboozled by the doctor. I wish that we didn't have to do that. I wish that we didn't sort of have to kind of catalogue our pain and go into the doctor and, and be quite strict with them. But I think I think we do. You know, endometriosis is really underdiagnosed and therefore undertreated. You know, there is a history of, of doctors taking women's pain less seriously. And I think while that exists, we do all sort of need to... To realise that and, and go into the doctor knowing what we're going to say, not getting emotional. I can be really emotional in the doctor. Um, and also, I think, really impressed by, by doctors and by the medical profession. I think a lot of us have grown up thinking that doctors are these kind of gods who yeah. know everything about our bodies. And of course, they're brilliant. And, you know, I, I love the NHS. But I think that, you know, to get the best treatment, it's it's good to go in there with a clear idea of, of what it is you want to say before yeah. you go in. Yeah, okay, this is very good advice. Um, your third piece of advice is actually about sex. 
What? <laughs> Tell me about this. Well, yeah, it's it's about sex, but it's it's not it's not really fun sex. No. It, yeah, yeah. And this came about because somebody told it to me. So I was um, doing a piece and talking to women about the sex education they'd received, and these were women from Ireland, but also from the UK, the US, Australia, and you know, all of them had had similarly rubbish sex education. And one woman said, "I wish I'd been taught that sex can hurt, but it doesn't have to hurt." And I just thought that was a really sort of depressing, but also important piece mm. of advice for people. I suppose girls grow up kind of being told that sex is something that boys want more, I think. And the point of sex is a reproductive point. So, you know, a, a man's orgasm is kind of the point of sex. And so I don't think they grow up realising that sex is supposed to be really nice and really fun. I don't think that's helped by kind of this, the way we talk about the hymen. Mm. You know, I think girls grow up thinking that hymens are like these like cling film like membranes that stretch over their vaginas and are broken the first time they have sex. But that's actually, you know, not quite what a hymen is. And, you know, you're sort of often told when you're a girl growing up that sex will be painful mm, and there will bleed. Yeah. There will be blood, there will be pain. And actually there might be blood and there might be pain, but there doesn't have to be. And also if that persists that should be something that you address, you know, with the doctor, with your partner. You know, I think a huge amount of women go through life having painful sex. I read something that 30% of women say that vaginal sex is painful. Mm, That's so upsetting. Yeah. Do you think people just think, oh, well, you know, this is my lot and I'll just persist with it and I'll just put up with it? Yeah, I think so, probably. I think less and less, actually. I am seeing less and less with with young people that they don't put up with things as much as maybe my generation did and the generation before, which is obviously really positive. There's that discussion, what does bad sex mean for people and what does bad sex mean for men? You know, maybe that it got a bit weird or... Yeah, I can't (laughs) even really imagine what bad sex means. I know that, of course, there is bad sex for men, but it's not something that men talk about. I guess we all need to be talking more about all of this. But I mean, I guess for bad sex for a man, like really bad sex would be like he didn't orgasm. But for a woman in a hookup situation... That is pretty yeah. standard. Like, you wouldn't be too surprised. You wouldn't go and tell your friends, oh my God, guess what? I didn't orgasm, you know, the first time I had sex with this guy or whatever. And bad sex would actually be something like it was really, really painful or, or you felt coerced or yeah. it was traumatic. And so I think, you know, those those horrible inequalities could be addressed if we told girls younger that sex might hurt but it doesn't have to, and there are ways around that. Yeah, and ultimately, it should be pleasurable. That's what, yeah, kind of the point. One of the points is anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, so, on a on a slightly more cheerful, sexy note, <laughs> while we're talking about sex, um, can you just tell us a little bit about the anatomical part of the book? So, you have a very serious breakdown of the anatomy of the reproductive organs Mm -hmm. and I mean reproductive maybe isn't the right word here but certainly the genital organs Mm -hmm. and I think there are some things in there that some people are going to be a little bit surprised about so 
please run me through that. I'm thinking, obviously, of the clitoris mainly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the clitoris was the big one for me as well. I did not realise before I started writing a book about this stuff that the clitoris extended inside the body. Mm -hmm. So there's the visible glands of the clitoris, which which we all sort of know about. Um, But then, hopefully, hopefully, yeah, I mean, (laughs) yeah, probably not as well as we should, but yeah. And then it continues inside the body. So there's the shaft of the clitoris and then it it divides into two legs and then there are two clitoral bulbs. And so there's all this, you know, clitoris going on inside the body. And so actually, you know, when women are aroused, the whole clitoris becomes engorged with blood. And so that is sort of It's kind of magnificent. Yeah. And I think (laughs) that actually when you when you hear that, you know, it does make sense when you think about what happens in your body and you're like, oh, okay, that's what that feels like, I suppose. But yeah, that information isn't really that well known, even though it's been known for centuries. Right. So this is something that people, anatomists have known for hundreds of years. And it is something that was fully, fully, fully realised around 20 years ago when a urologist um, discovered the full extent. So she discovered that it was actually larger than the anatomist had thought it was. But, you know, that information is there, but it's not really there in school books. It's not really there at leaflets at the doctor. I don't recall clitoris being mentioned at all in my sex education. Me neither. I read about it in women's magazines. Thank you, magazines. Yeah, I thought it was slang because I thought that it was something that like people talked about (laughs) because I'd never seen it in like a school book, but I'd heard it in the playground or in the movies or whatever, you know? Yeah. But in France, they have started to bring 3D models of the clitoris, like the whole thing, into sex education. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of where we should be going. You know, it is this hidden thing in our bodies, but it doesn't have to be hidden elsewhere. Yeah. You know, I know that your book will be read by lots of intelligent, curious women who want to know more. Um, But will it be read by men? I hope so, because Mm. I feel like it's... In some cases, it's men that need to read this stuff. I would like a man I'm dating to know about the full extent of the clitoris, (laughs) for example. (laughs) Or what things are like for women. Yeah, somebody did say that to me. He's a man um, and he's a gay man in a relationship with another man. And he said, you know, I'd really like to read this book because... He had been speaking to his sister recently and she'd been telling him something about her period and going on the pill to help with her period. And he just kind of, you know, he's in his late 20s and he just thought, you know, I didn't know that happened and I didn't know it was that painful. And actually, I really want to to read about it so that I know what life feels like for all these women in my life. And I thought that was really, really nice. And, you know, he's he's a very sweet guy. So that made sense. But um, a friend of mine just had a son recently and um, he's he's a baby. So I don't think he should read the book for a while. (laughs) He should learn to read and then still wait another kind of 14, 15 years. Um, But she said, you know, I really want my son to read this when he grows up. Um, And I think, you know, hopefully there will be a generation of parents who are keen for their children to to get a good sex education and realize that a good sex education you know doesn't mean that kids are going to be having sex with each other really young but actually just means that they'll be entering the world with respect for each other and yeah and having safer experiences mm-hmm, in that mm-hmm. respect mm-hmm. moving on tell me about your fourth piece of advice so this is some advice about advice and it is do not 
offer unsolicited advice to people who are trying to conceive, experiencing infertility, going through a miscarriage or considering an abortion. Um, And I think that kind of speaks for itself, you know, but at the same time, people do offer unsolicited advice all the time. And actually, you know, it's not very helpful. And I Mm. think that it would be better if people were more sensitive. Um, You know, we don't really need to hear about the supplements that you think worked for you in terms of infertility because often you know infertility is such a complex thing and what worked for one person won't work for another and and that person might have already realized that it's not going to work for them and actually it's Mm. just this kind of doesn't want to go over it again and yeah and similarly linked to that I think you know don't ask somebody when they're going to have a baby um I get it though I'm really nosy and I'm also really into like kids I'm really into like going deep really quickly with people (laughs) and asking them about you know personal things but at the same time it's something that I've realized in the past couple of years in the time that I've been trying to have a baby and you know dealing with infertility and and in the time that a lot of my friends have been going through the same experience and having miscarriages or really you know horrible painful experiences and somebody saying are you thinking about kids when are you going to have a baby is is really unhelpful if somebody's you know just been told that actually there's a problem so I suppose be very sensitive around people and if in doubt just don't say anything don't say anything yeah Yeah. because I think people will volunteer and then even when people volunteer information I think probably the best strategy is to hang back wait for them to volunteer wait for them to ask rather than you know you being the person to ask and you being the person to suggest kind of take take the opposite approach let them lead the way what's helpful for yeah them. yeah 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 I think so yeah okay your fifth piece of advice actually is not it's not vagina related it's not fertility related <laughs> um <laughs> tell us about this well it's really cliched but um I think it's really good advice. So living well is the best revenge slash resentment is like swallowing poison and expecting the other person to die. So they're basically the same piece of advice. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, if you go through any sort of rejection or painful experience like a breakup or a redundancy or, you know, any of those horrible kind of inevitable life experiences Mm. it's very tempting to wallow and to sit around and to see see (laughs) (laughs) and to hate um and that's yeah not not the best way to do it yeah believe it or not I've finally realized at the age of 35 so I guess living well is the best revenge and you sort of have to force yourself out of that really horrible state that you're in and kind of get on with things and that's how actually you'll you'll flourish you know and I suppose that means you know getting off the internet as well I think Mm. that you know people going through breakups now or even people who've left jobs you know everybody is on social media and if you're at home in your pajamas it's really tempting and really easy to keep tabs on mm, all your see what everyone's up to <laughs> on all your various suffering. enemies <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah whether they're suffering whether they're being successful and actually you know that's a real waste of time and yeah. <laughs> you're never going to get to the end of the day even if you see your enemy has like 
uh, has suffered. It's not as satisfying as you think it might be. You know, it's not as satisfying as going out there and achieving something for yourself. So I just think, yeah, I'm sorry, but yeah. Be more zen about the whole yeah. thing. Do you think it's really about focusing your attention back onto what you want and what you are going to do next and essentially like staying in your own lane a little bit yeah yeah no that's exactly it but that's really hard to do and maybe it's just that that is hard to do you know if you've had a knock right and if you've been broken up with or if you've lost a job that you really loved or if you've been rejected for a job that you really wanted that's a knock and that's painful and that will force you to sort of have to grapple with what you really want out of life and stuff and I suppose that you know you can distract yourself by stalking somebody online but actually the better thing to do is to look at what you really want and figure out how to to get there yeah yeah yeah. Um, your sixth piece of advice is very practical. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is get a pension. Um, I do not have a pension. But well, I, then why should we listen yeah, to you on this yeah. matter? <laughs> but I, I would like to have a pension and I think I should get a pension. Um, but yeah, I was on my hen weekend in Ireland a few years ago and we'd had this amazing weekend and had so much fun. But, you know, there was a lot of booze we were all very, very hungover on the Sunday night heading back to London from Kerry in Ireland. And my mum was sort of bouncing around the place. She'd come on the hem weekend and she'd had this brilliant time and she was bouncing around the place because she's just always full of energy. She's never miserable. And we were all kind of heading back to London feeling, you know, a little bit wrecked. And we said like, somebody said, my friend actually said it to her. She said, Anne, how are you always so jolly? Like, what's your secret? And she was leaving the airport and she just turned around and she said my secret is a pension get a pension <laughs> ladies and then left <laughs> after that everybody just got even more depressed because none of us had pensions and we hoped she was going to say something like magnesium or like you know tell us something really easy but it was like get a pension um and that's actually a really difficult thing to do. Uh, so, you know, she had been a teacher. So for her, having a pension was quite easy, right? Because it was all sort of done for her. But uh, for others, and especially for us now, you know, a lot of us are in much more unstable employment and don't have jobs for life. So it's more difficult. But I do think it's really important advice. You know, I see people like my mom who have pensions and then people who are her contemporaries who don't. And there is a difference in the way they're able to live their life. Also, you know, there is there is a gendered aspect to it um, because, you know, there's the gender pay gap. So men have more money and then mm-hmm. they save more money. They invest more money. They have larger pensions. And so women can end up feeling that they have to stay in relationships or marriages that they you know might perhaps leave if they if they had a pension um and it doesn't have to be a pension you know but a plan I suppose yeah and I think you know I've been really not very good at it you know quite bad at it I found money quite a boring thing you know Mm -hmm. I I never really wanted to be rich but I just presumed it would all work out I suppose and so I'm starting to realize that actually you know you do have to put some work into figuring out a sustainable life and I suppose I just wish that girls and women had more information about money Mm. and 
I think that we should all try and be more financially literate. Yeah, um, I think this is quite an empowering message, actually. You know, it's true that we all have to be in our own corner and that is financially as well as in other respects. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And also I think, you know, for you and I both in our mid-30s, a lot of people listening to this will be around that age or perhaps even younger and... Uh, we tend to think that it's never going to be a problem for us so far in the distance, mm-hmm. but it is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. That's a solid girl bit of yeah. Anne Enright advice there. Yeah, yeah. Get a pension. <laughs> Get a pension. Um, that brings us on to your bad piece of advice. Why did you choose this? Yeah, okay. So the, the bad piece of advice is time heals all wounds. And, you know, I do actually think that, like, time is really great and time... <laughs> we love time. Yeah, time <laughs> is helpful for some wounds. But I think that kind of thinking, time heals all wounds, that's fine. I don't have to do much more than just kind of wait. I don't think that's very helpful. You know, that's another one that might come up uh, when somebody breaks up with you, let's say, or when you don't get something that you want And you think, okay, well, you know, this is really, really painful now, but it will be less painful in a few years. And I do think that's true largely, but I think that we have to make more of an effort to make things better for ourselves. We can't just sit around waiting, you know, try and change your situation. I think that's probably better than just sitting around waiting. And also, you know, I think actually sometimes if you don't address something that's really painful for you, like a traumatic event or something that has really hurt you and you just sit around waiting for time to heal it, actually it will get worse and it will sort of fester or it will calcify and you'll find, you know, five years down the line, actually time hasn't healed it and it feels worse now and it's 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 kind of warped and and you know it's more painful or it's something that you you can't really speak about or you feel like you shouldn't still care about it because it happened so far in the past and mm. i think you know if something painful has happened to you you owe it to yourself to to try and address that and figure that out and work through that what put this in your head Well, I think what put it in my head is that I think fundamentally there's some truth in it. And I remember somebody telling me at one stage um, when I was going through a breakup around 10 years ago, time heals all wounds. And then thinking like three years later, actually, you know, I do feel a lot better. And that's that's that was that was helpful advice. But then I thought about the kind of three years (laughs) it had taken me to get there. And I thought, actually, I think I could have played a much more active role yeah, in making that healed these more quickly than time did. Or... Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've been full of really wise advice today. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much to Lynn. Buy your copy of Vagina, a Reeducation now. If you like the Grazia Life Advice podcast, please help us out by subscribing, rating it, reviewing it or sharing it. See you next week for more advice from women worth listening to. Hold up. 